Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 247. If there's one thing Royal Caribbean is best known for, it may be the incredible cruise ships it designs. When you go on a Royal Caribbean cruise, the ship is more than just a floating hotel. It is the epicenter of activities, shows, dining, entertainment, more food, relaxation, splashing, things to eat, competitions, and more food. So it should come as no surprise to hear when your Royal Caribbean ship pulls into port, there are a lot of folks who stay on board instead of venturing on shore. This week, we explore the best reasons to consider staying on board your Royal Caribbean ship during a port of call and how to take advantage of your time on board when the ship is docked. Here we go. I remember my first Royal Caribbean cruise that I ever took on Explorer this season being simply blown away by the grandeur of the ship and the vast array of things to do there. I then remember going on Oasis of the Seas for the very first time and being even more impressed by the choice of activities. It's still astonishing to me to this day to think about all the things you can do on a Royal Caribbean ship, which is why this week I wanted to focus on the idea of staying on board your Royal Caribbean ship while in port. I remember when I first heard that there were people that would not get off the ship in port and said, stay on board the ship. When I was first heard about that, I, I was I was just... I was shocked, quite honestly, that people would do that. To me, it would be like, it sounded almost like going to New York City and staying in your hotel room or buying a movie ticket for a movie you really wanted to see and then not actually seeing the movie, instead skipping it or opting to stay home for no particular reason. Like, it just seemed counterintuitive, right? Isn't the whole point of cruising to go visit these ports that you're going to? And the reality is, over the years, I've learned, yes, but it's also about the ship itself. And, you know, at the top of the show, I talked about Royal Caribbean has built a reputation for designing its ships to be destinations in and of themselves. And I think that lends a lot towards this idea of staying on board. Back in the day, staying on board a cruise ship really was, I think, more of a decision of we've been to this port before or we've been to this port so many times before that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And really back then, while cruise ships offered a lot to do on board, don't get me wrong, it a lot has changed over the last decade or two where we've seen the cruise ships just erupt in in activities and and things to eat and places to go and shows to see. And it can be, quite honestly, I, I hesitate to use the word overwhelming, but if you're going on a brand new ship, if you're watching those TV commercials, if you're checking out the amazing blog posts you write about RoyalCrimeBlog.com about some of the new ships that Royal Caribbean is building, and you see, that was self-serving, and you see you know, some of these incredible things that are offered on board, it's hard to say. think about, hmm, how am I going to work all that in during my seven-night cruise, or even less, maybe you're going on a shorter cruise, right? But regardless of the duration of your cruise, it is really hard to work it all in. I don't care which ship you go on, even if we're talking about Empress of the Seas, all right, maybe Empress, you could work it all in. But but even so, it's a challenge because your port time eats into the overall time you have available on board the ship. And if you're on an itinerary that has a lot of port stops, well, that leaves you not a whole lot of time, not a lot of waking time to be able to check it all out. And for some people, this is a maybe once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, maybe it's a once-in-a-couple-year opportunity, or more importantly, they just want to see it all because it looks so darn cool. I mean, you watch these videos and you see the Broadway shows they add. You see the the different bars and restaurants that they add on board the ship. You know, all the different activities. You look through a cruise compass and you see all the, all the uh, events that are happening. You want to be a part of the fun. That's kind of why you booked a cruise because you have that opportunity to, to try it all. And so I think staying on board is not so much about necessarily the ports of call, but really a reflection of 
of, I think, a lot of what the cruise ships offer these days. Now, if you're a veteran cruiser, if you've been there, done that kind of guy, and you've cruised the Caribbean a number of times, yes, okay, I can kind of understand why you might not be that keen on visiting a certain port again. And that certainly plays into it. But I really feel like the, dis- the discussion is more about what you want to do on board the ship and what's important to you. Also, the port you're visiting happens to be, I think, an important factor to it, but it's still something to consider. And we're going to talk about that this week because I think it's really important to consider this as an option. I, I would never go in here and tell you that you should always stay on board the ship on, in port or you should never do that. It really depends on you, your preferences, and obviously your cruising history. But I think that considering that Royal Caribbean builds its cruise ships to be floating entertainment hubs, uh, you know, there's a lot to do on board. And if you limit yourself to just sea days, you're not going to be able to do it all. In fact, even if you skipped all the port days, you... I think you'd still be challenged to do it all, especially on the bigger ships in the fleet. But, you know, staying on board can give you easy access to what might otherwise be popular parts of the ship as well. And for a lot of people, that's just about enjoying themselves and relaxation. So, you know, I know that we've I've kind of painted this picture of staying on board is about doing things. But for a lot of people, it's just about not doing things. And, in fact, quite the opposite, but enjoying the relaxation about it. And I think that there's, you know, obviously... Uh, a component to that that when we're talking about this discussion. Now, if you're new to this idea or you've never tried this idea before, because a lot of times I hear about things, but I never tried them out myself. So I remember the first time I did it, you know, you're going to notice that there are going to be some differences on, on the ship versus when you're at a sea day, right? So if you're in port, it's a different experience than, you know, obviously when you're out to sea. And there's still activities going on. There are still restaurants open. You can still do the basic cruise experience. The pools will be open. Like I said, there will be some restaurants available. Uh, there will be lunch or whatever meal happens to be served while you're uh, in port. There will be some activities. There's not going to be a lot of activities, but there's still going to be some. It's going to be limited. But you will see, usually there's you know a couple of activities here and there. Uh, usually, I mean, you theoretically could go from activity to activity to activity. Not quite the same length. You know, if you look at it on a sea day, I mean, there's just you know, a ton of stuff going on. This might be like you know, 10 o'clock is trivia. 11 o'clock is, is a towel folding demonstration. Uh, 12 o'clock is a movie at the pool. 1 o'clock is, you know, I don't know, bingo or something like that, right? Like you have activities, but it's not nearly the depth of activities to choose from. Um, but again, you'll have to look at the cruise compass on your particular ship to understand exactly what's being offered. But know that there will still be some activities. And there will be dining available on board the ship. A lot of people actually use this strategy even if they're not staying on board. In certain ports where you're there for a long time or where it's really easy to get back and forth, some people actually go back to the ship for lunch and then go back off the ship again for the rest of the afternoon to go enjoy the port. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Number one, your food is included on board the ship, whereas it's not in port. Assuming this is not Labadee or Coca-Cola, obviously, at Royal Caribbean private destinations. You know, you're in Cozumel, you're in, you're in Nassau. Look, sometimes you just want to be able to hop back on and grab something to eat quickly and not pay for it. Certainly, that's an opportunity for you to do so. And that that's some that's an advantage there. Uh, also, some people just need a break sometimes. Uh, a lot of times, uh, I think, uh, especially on days where you're on a beach front like Labadee or Coca-Cola, some people like going for there for the additional variety of food, right? Because on the private islands, typically it's just a barbecue and and food of that ilk. Whereas, you know, maybe you're in the mood for pizza or you're in the mood for, you know, a salad or, you know, I'm trying to think of foods. That, I mean, they do offer salad on Labadee and Coca-Cola, but I'm talking about, like, you know, something different, right? Well, that's a good reason to get back on board the ship to do that as well. So there is still plenty of food available on board the ship. Especially restaurant schedules may be affected by being in port. A lot of times they're not open uh, while you're in port, at least not for lunch. Depends on the ship, depends on the schedule. You'll have to check that. But, you know, 
there's still meals being served. You don't have to worry about the ship closing down, so to speak. But otherwise, it's pretty similar. I mean, the pools are open, like I've said, and there will be things to do on there. But really, what it's about, I think, is taking advantage of the extra time. Because when you're on board the ship, when your ship is docked, because there's so many people to get off the ship, it almost feels like you have your own ship to yourself. Like, it's like... It's not, you know, I, I don't think that Royal Caribbean ships are quote-unquote crowded all the time by any means. But it's it's kind of like you walk down the Royal Promenade, or you're on the pool deck, and you'll notice pretty quickly, wow, there's a lot less people here than they're usually here, right? Relatively speaking, there's less people. And that comes in the form of sleeping in and then going to the pool deck at 11.30 a.m. and getting prime seating by the pool because a lot of everyone's off on shore somewhere. Or maybe it is sitting on the Royal Promenade, prime table wherever you want not even you know competing with anybody for anything like that i mean there's there's a lot of possibilities to it and i think that uh, you know there's there's certainly some choice we're talking a lot about the options and things to do on there um and we're going to get into the some of the advantages how to take advantage of the of the uh, of a day spent on board the ship while your ship is docked there i also posed this question to our facebook page we have a facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash royal caribbean blog and i asked you know, what do you think about doing a, a staying on board the ship during a during a port day? Is it something you've done before? And what do you think about it? Yes or no? And we had some great comments, really, really good stuff here. Uh, and I got a couple of people that are for it, some people against it. We'll start out with a Rosie Olson who writes, "Yes, we stayed on board Liberty of the Seas last September while in port at Grand Cayman. We love being on board while in port. It's almost like having your own private cruise ship." Beth Bean said, "Absolutely, we use the time to explore the ship and no lines for ship activities." Kathy Thurman said, nice and quiet and relaxing. The cruise itself is my vacation. I did one cruise and never left the ship. I'll be honest, Kathy, that's a bit more than I don't know that I could do that on a, certainly on a seven-night cruise. Three-night, four-night cruise. Okay, I can totally understand that 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 uh, idea, Kathy. Uh, but still, that that's, that's really taken to the next level, right? Cheryl Freeberg wrote, Great time to hit the spa. Their discount, uh, they, they discount their services when in port. Less people at the spa and not as long of a wait for your appointment. Now, Nick Smith wrote, absolutely no. And he wrote in capital letters, so you know he's being serious about this. I am a port kind of person. Ron Ladowski said, nope, not yet. But who knows what the future might bring. And Alyssa Lorenz wrote, no, but I have thought about it. And I'll tell you that it is tempting. And I agree with something that... Uh, Nick Smith wrote, which is that he's a port kind of person. I am a port kind of person. I love the ports we visit. And I, even though I've been to a lot of the Caribbean ports many, 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 many times, to me, while the cruise ships are amazing and incredible and I love spending time on them, I still have that that urge to explore and go to these ports and take it in. And for me, that is still priority one because I find that going to these places, whether we're talking about the Caribbean, Alaska, Europe, wherever – is a big component. This is why I travel, and I enjoy travel, and it's a good opportunity to see and get a taste of what these ports offer. So I absolutely love these ideas uh, in terms of what you know what this offers. Now, some folks talked about some of the benefits of doing so. I want to talk about some of the ways you can take advantage of staying on board the ship. Number one, by far, I think the number one reason people stay on board the ship is for the pool. If you're looking for quality pool time, and by quality I mean not having to compete for a chair, Having basically the pool to yourself or whatever pool you happen to choose, oftentimes Royal Caribbean ships have more than one pool. Boy, it's night and day difference at the pool on a when you stay on board the ship on a port day versus any other time. I mean, it's just it's really is nice having the pool to your quote unquote self. I mean, there will be other people there, but I mean, it's just you know it's incredible just to see it 
you know, if if nothing else, you should stay on board the ship for an hour or two just to see the difference in, you know, how uncrowded it is and just how empty everything is, especially by the pool. It is – it's really nice having – I don't want to say – it doesn't have to be empty, but certainly a lot less crowded than on a sea day. And that's – again, that goes back to relaxation and taking it all in. Uh, along the lines of the pool, obviously, you have water slides. That's a big component of it as well, especially on Royal Caribbean ships that are building these new water slides like, you know, Harmony of the Seas, Symphony of the Seas, and I'm sure, you know, if Liberty of the Seas, Adventure of the Seas, where they have water slides, there can be some long lines for it. Now, there are strategies around that, but I still think that, obviously, if they're on a port day, I mean, you'll be able to go up and down it a thousand times, right? I mean, you could just, there is not going to be a line. And for, I mean, I would say, for, I was going to say for kids, but I'm going to be honest with you, even for me, that's a big deal. I really do enjoy that. Just that thought of like, oh, there's no way I can just go back up again. Like, that's really cool. I love that idea. Now, we had someone uh, talk about the spa, and that is uh, Cheryl mentioned the spa discounts. And Cheryl's right. If you want the lowest price on a spa treatment, by far it is going to be the, spe- the best specials, the most lucrative specials will be offered when your ship is in port. Now, here's a strategy around that. You're saying, well, I'd love to do that, but I also want to be able to go visit Tulum or I want to go to, you know, wherever, uh, you know, see all these historical sites or go to the beach or whatnot. Uh, The good news is as long as your ship is in port, you can take advantage of it. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the middle of the day. You can maybe wait an hour or come back a little early and still take advantage of it as long as you're docked. That counts, and you're and you you'll get those kind of discounts. So certainly something to keep in mind if you're looking for a more lucrative discount on spa services. Ask about port day specials, and if you get there early enough, try planning it again around. You know you're going to be back on the ship anyway, an hour or two before the ship has to leave anyway. But if you can take advantage of a spa service at that point, the last hour or two, you may be able to net yourself some serious savings. So um, there's also a lot of other things that are you know you're going to see. In general, we're all talking about less lines. You're not, not waiting as much, right? If you're going to the fitness center, you're not waiting for a machine. You're not have any problem over there. In terms of dining, I mean, you know, the Windjamer, the main dining room, whatever's open is not going to be any kind of competition there. We talked about that already with the pool. Same same thing applies. I mean, there's there's not nearly as many people to compete with in terms of you know waiting to get food at the at the buffet or what have you. So that's a you know it's certainly a, a big part of it, and obviously. There are some other uh, nice things that in the acti- whatever activity you participate in, there will probably be less people to, uh, you know, if you're doing trivia, hey, odds are you're going to have less people to compete against. If you're doing uh, an activity that requires, you know, people to volunteer, you know, you have a better chance of that happening. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, basically there's less people about it. But I think at the end of the day, also something that's uh, an important night or a nice thing to have about staying on board the ship is being able to explore the ship without a lot of people on there. I think it gets lost a lot in the equation about whether to stay on board or not. And you might say, well, why do I care, you know, about walking around the ship? There's less people around. I mean, you know, it's not like, you know, you're, it's a race, like a road race, and you have to worry about, you know, making your time. But really, for a lot of people, it's about, you know, maybe just enjoying the ship with a lot less people over there. I'll tell you, it's an incredible experience if you've ever been on the Royal Promenade and not a soul is around you. Usually, you have to, you know, if you wait till like 2 a.m., you can experience this any day. But, you know, in the middle of the day, it is kind of cool, kind of interesting to see that happen. You know, and and I'll tell you that being especially on the bigger ships or the ships where maybe it's a new ship to you, and you want to go have an opportunity to see it all and walk around and check out the artwork that they have on there. Certainly, when you're in port, I mean, it's just it allows you to dictate your own pace. I think that's really what it is all about. And you know, um, 
obviously that that's a big part of it. Now we should also mention there is a, obviously an exception to this where you know we're, we're, we're painting this picture that staying on board the ship offers you a lot of great opportunities or or you know a much less crowded environment. But of course, this is all assuming I think one basic uh, thing, one basic truth, and that is the weather's not crummy because if it's raining or some other weather that's not conducive to touring on land, a lot of more people will opt to stay on board the ship. You'll still have less people. Don't get me wrong. It's not like everybody you know, stays on board the ship. But you know, if you're in a port on a rainy day, there's going to be a lot more guests who are going to stay on board the ship uh, in general. And thus, that may negate some of these advantages that we, we talked about earlier. And again, this goes back to what you were planning on doing. So if you're talking about a port where maybe you were thinking of going to a museum or you're doing something that's not relying on the weather and now you're considering staying on board the ship – well, if it's crummy weather, maybe you still go because what do you care? You're going to be indoors anyway, right? And, you know, if you want to go drink it up in, in port, you know, at a bars, a lot of them, um, <laughs> there's always an indoor component to bars. So you've got that as well. You know, it's, it's an interesting proposition. I think it really boils down to what you're looking to do with your time on board and how important it is for the ship. I think when we talk about new ships, if you're going on a ship that you've never been on before and or a new ship, like last week we were on the podcast, we talked about Symphony of the Seas, right? And, you know, when Rucker puts out a new cruise ship, it's just incredible the amount of stuff they put on there. And I would be, uh, I would certainly would not blame you for wanting to stay on board the ship, purely be able to check it all out because there's a lot that goes in there. I know that when I did on, when I went on Harmony of the Seas for the first time, I actually ended up adding on an extra sailing. I was originally supposed to go on uh, a different, I forget which sailing it was, but I added a sailing right before that for, and I know I'm saying this like half jokingly, but it's half joke, half truth, for research purposes. I wanted to be able to get on board and have enough time to see it all and explore and not feel like I was, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to do it all there. And when you, when you, you know, when you're doing that kind of situation, there are people who may go to those lengths or at least want to have an opportunity to see a ship. Uh, and as soon as they can. Well, if you're there for the ship, you're there for the ship, right? And that means staying on board when you're important. And I remember that we went to, this was a three, I think it was a three-night cruise, and we went to, like, NASA, obviously, in, in the Bahamas, and I didn't get off the ship for that one. I actually thought about getting off the ship just to take a picture, and I ended up not doing that. I think I was busy doing something else. I kind of regret it at the time. Or, but anyway, you know, there's that component to it as well. I think it's not a mistake to do either one. I think it really depends, again, on your experience. If you're new to Royal Caribbean, if you're new to cruising, more importantly, I would probably tell you not to do this because a lot of these ports you're visiting, if it's your first time, there's some pretty cool things to do there. And it's a lot of fun. And, you know, odds are you'll be able, still be able to hit the 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 very important things that are that, that are going to be happening on board the ship. I mean, during when your cruise ship is in port, you know, they're not really showing, you know, the Broadway shows or or other signature entertainment. You're going to have stuff to do, don't get me wrong, but there's still time to do those other main things. However, all those signature entertainment activities may take up time away from doing something else, like hanging by the pool, or you know, going and checking out the artwork on board, um, you know, taking photos on board the ship. You know, there, there's a lot of good reasons to stay on board. We talked about that already. But you know, if you really truly want to see it all and do it all on board, you know, on the ship, well, then you're that's you're going to need port time for that or a transatlantic crossing. That's probably I'm I'm sure someone was getting ready to send me an email, which is that just do like a just keep going back on the ship, Matt, until you run out of things to do, right? Just book back to back sailings, book transatlantic sailings. That's how you that's how you get enough time to do it all and have time in port. And you know what? Those people would not be incorrect. They might not have a lot of vacation time or money 
left over. But they're not incorrect about that. Logistically speaking, it is a great idea. How about we answer some of your Royal Caribbean emails? Sure, man, that sounds like a great idea. All right, great, let's go for it. And of course, if you want to send me your emails, you can do so by sending an email to matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt, royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email this week is from Ron Ladowski, who writes about a Royal Caribbean celebrity comparison. He writes, I take that you agree with my premise that Royal Caribbean Voyager class is nearly identical to the Celebrity Solstice class. Celebrity, even if they advertise it to be directed towards the young affluent crowd, its guests are 75% retirees. It might have been because I was on a 14-night cruise after Easter week. I'm sure that we had a major impact on the cruise demographic, having gone over that time of year. Uh, but the thing that really blew my mind is this is the last Caribbean cruise through the Eclipse in the future. She's headed to Europe, then after the summer headed to South America, and then next summer headed to Alaska. Her next cruise after mine was a transatlantic headed to Dublin, Ireland. I believe it was a 13-night cruise. And people on board were signing up for the crossing on the spur of the moment. The idea of being on board a cruise ship for 27 straight days really amazes me. Guess that's what it means to be re- really be retired and not part-time retired like my wife and I. I do have tons of photos, which I'll be able to send to you after this email. Last thing, why did I cruise Celebrity? Because I love Oasis class. Love it with a passion. I would jump at the chance to cruise on Oasis Plus or Oasis Double Plus class with seven to 8,000 passengers. I like big ships, but... There is no way big ships can visit Antigua, St. Lucia, Barbados, and Bonaire. Four islands I've never visited, so everyone has to make a sacrifice sometime, and I did, and I'm that kind of guy. So, Ron, thank you for the email, and you know, a lot of people ask me a lot of things about comparisons between Royal Caribbean and, well, pretty much any other cruise line, right? Whether it's Celebrity or Norwegian Carnival, Disney, you know, MSC, there's a ton of of options that are out there, and a lot of people want to know, you know, does it make sense to go on? And we've done a lot of episodes about that in the past, a lot about Disney. Uh, so we've done an episode or two, I think, about Carnival and, and Norwegian. But we need to do more of that. And I know a lot of people have been clamoring for that kind of an option. And I will try my best to work it in because I think that you guys are right. That it's, you know, it's, it's nice to at least know what the other side is doing and kind of working from there. So... Next, we have an email from Chris Lapine Christensen, who writes, I wanted to email you about your Airfare Strategies podcast episode. I just wanted to note that the Airfare Strategies that you mentioned in your last podcast also apply to international travel. We often save hundreds of dollars per person by shopping airports within driving distance and have saved as much as $900 per person while often getting better, like nonstop flights, in addition to the savings. One-way car rentals also reduce the cost of long-term parking at these more distant from home airports. For Europe specifically, getting there is the largest expense and can sometimes surpass the cost of the cruise unless you're sailing YOLO Hotchberg class and joke. <laughs> Thus, shopping for airfare to hubs like Barcelona, Paris, or London, and then connecting from there can be another way to save a lot of money on airfare. For example, this summer, we were able to secure a $611 round-trip airfare to London nonstop from Los Angeles. We then connect on a separate ticket to Amsterdam for a couple hundred dollars more round trip. Had we booked direct, which would have entailed two flights each way, the cost would have been nearly $1,300 instead of $850 round trip per person. While we would, while we have to add a little extra time into the schedule for the connection between flights, it is well worth the savings and a strategy we also use selling the med this past January. Chris, thank you for the email and great points all around. I think that you're right. Well, first of all, you're right about obviously the strategies that I outlined uh, with the example of domestic airfare in the United States absolutely applies anywhere you're flying. And quite honestly, it, it doesn't even have to be for a cruise. I mean, you're going to visit on Edna. You know, you can apply the strategy in a lot of cases. 
But you're right that, you know, don't think just about airports, but think about also how you can get there and one-way rental car uh, options or taking a train, especially in Europe, because trains are so easy. Once you're on the continent, you're on the continent, and it's a lot easier to get around. Now, maybe, you know, again, I don't know how much time you have, but if you have the time for it, boy, what a great way to see, you know, the countryside and save some money on airfare because, you know, maybe flying into Rome isn't in the cards financially, but flying into Paris is and then taking the train or Germany and taking the train, right? Take advantage of those sales you happen to find. I think it's a, a great strategy. Thank you, Chris. Uh, we have a... Our next email is from Becky from Pennsylvania. I want to send a big thank you for all you do for all your tips. I recently booked our first Royal Caribbean cruise. My husband and I have been on three cruises, but this is our first Royal Caribbean. We're going to adventure the seas out of Bayonne in June with our 11 and 13-year-old boys. This is their second cruise, but they were three and five on their first cruise and don't remember it. We're getting really excited, and now I'm even more excited because I recently called Royal Caribbean after seeing a WOW sale advertised on their website. In the past, I would I would have just been mad that I missed the sale, but after listening to your podcast, I knew it was possible to call and see if I could get the sale price. I started listening to the podcast after booking on their website. If I had listened first, I would probably just use a travel agent since you are always talking about the advantages, but I'm happy to report that I called and had no wait on the phone, and I was able to save over $200 and increase our onboard credit from 50 to 75 bucks. Thanks for all your tips on the show. I'm listening to old shows and passing the time until our cruise. I also have one question. I signed up for Crown and Anchor Society, but since we haven't been on board yet, we don't have status. Do we get any perks with this, or will this just have to wait till our next cruise to count as members? Becky, I am so glad to hear this podcast and Royal Green Blog in general has been helpful to you and certainly saved you money, which is even better. That's amazing, and I love hearing those kinds of things. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this. So it's your question. You signed up for Crown Anchor Society before your first cruise. Is there any benefit to it? And no. <laughs> you just saved yourself some time later on and some paperwork. That's really what it amounts to. If you had waited, you would have had to sign up, and then you, you would have to look up your old cruise and link it there. But now you're already set up, so it's like one less thing to do later on. I don't think you've made a mistake by any means, but no, you're not going to get it. You're, you're technically, your status is called pre-gold. Uh, gold is being, once you complete one cruise, then you get all those benefits. So, Becky, you're not going to get anything out of it, but at least you're set up for many, many, many more Royal Caribbean cruises. I think that's the important thing, right? I think that's kind of the... Uh, the name of the game, as it were. Our next email comes to us from Lauren Wickers. My fiance and I just booked our honeymoon cruise on Symphony of the Seas in October 2018. We're going on a nine-night cruise to Italy, Spain, and France. Do you have any suggestions on excursions? We've never been to any of those places. Also, how can we tell Royal Caribbean it's our honeymoon? Will the pool still be open even if it's fall? Are there any must-do activities on Symphony? Holy moly, Lauren. All right. But now, uh, follow is a two-hour recommendation for what to do now. All right, let's answer these questions. So I'm going to go in reverse order. Are there any must-do activities at Symphony of the Seas? Oh, yes, absolutely. The signature activities by far are what you want to go do and see, right? The laser tag, the hairspray, the water slides, Ultimate Abyss, the specialty dining that's available just on board. Uh, Symphony of the Seas, like Hooked Restaurant is a great example of that. Playmakers Bar, that's a big one. See the ice skating show you heard probably in last week's episode. Rick talking about how amazing that was and... You know, try to take it all in. There's so many great activities in there, and this is going to go back to what we talked about earlier in this episode, Lauren, about, you know, are you there for the ship or the ports you're visiting? Uh, that can be an interesting debate there, but definitely take advantage. Signature activities are huge right there. Uh, will the pool still be able to fall? Absolutely. No problem there whatsoever. How can you tell Royal Caribbean it's your honeymoon? What you want to do is put a note on your reservation. Now, if you booked with a travel agent, they can do this for you. They just say, put a note on my reservation. That's our honeymoon. Uh, if you book directly through Royal Caribbean, 
then just call them up and ask to put that in your reservation notes. Basically, what that will tell, obviously, the staff and anybody, it's your honeymoon. Will I get you anything? I have no idea. Assume not, but you never know. And, you know, a lot of people on the ship have access to that reservation, guest services, dining, if you're going to especially restaurants. You never know in the mix how that can all work out. So that's certainly num- that's a good strategy there. And suggestions for excursions. My favorite thing to do when I'm looking for excursions that I've never been to before, and a port I've never been to before, uh, two things. Number one, check out uh, TripAdvisor.com. Great resource. To, it's a great starting point to figure out what is there to do in these ports because you're owning some really interesting ports in, in Europe. And obviously, there's a large amount of history, large amount of culture restaurants. I mean, there's a ton of things you're probably going to want to do in any of these ports. That's a good starting point. Number two, I recommend going to a a forum where you can ask people for recommendations and they can provide them. We certainly have that on our message boards at royalcreamblog.com. We have a great community there, by the way. So you can definitely post that and get some really good feedback there, personal feedback. There's also some other uh, opportunities to, sh- to get that kind of information elsewhere. Certainly, Cruise Critic has its own message boards. Facebook has a lot of Facebook groups that are out there. So you can get, you know, you can glean from all these places different bits of information, different suggestions. I think, Lauren, that's going to help you out there. But you pick a wonderful ship and uh, you're going to be I think in the same situation that we talked about earlier about, oh, do I really want to go see the Coliseum or do I want to go, you know, do laser tag, right? I, I know that sounds like an awful, you know, choice, but trust me, there are people that are going to think of that. Next email from Doug writes, as always, great work on the podcast. The weekly escape is a nice break from the cold winter here in Boston. My girlfriend and I are finally starting to plan our second cruise and have started looking at for itineraries in 2019. We're hoping that some include Dominica, since that was one of our favorite stops on our last cruise. But after looking online, it appears that no, no cruise ships from Royal Caribbean go to Dominica after December. I've seen the news that Dominica was hit pretty hard by hurricanes this past fall, but I'd imagine that if it were the case, all cruises would cease stopping in the port. My best guesses are that Royal Caribbean and Dominica ended their contract and another cruise company took over their spot. Uh, or Dominica's cruise port is temporarily closing in order to better serve more ships. Curious if you have any insight as to what might be going on since we hope to return to Dominica even if we have to do a couple of cruises in between without it. Doug, thank you for the email. And you know what? I think that you may already have the answer to this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The uh, t- Depending on your timing of when you're looking, there may or may not be more options for you, especially when you get towards like a certain time when you're right up to that point where Royal Caribbean's announced new itineraries. Anyway, I just, as an example, went on the Royal Caribbean website and I see some sailings in January 2020, December 2019, November 2019, December 2018, December 2019. There's about seven sailings between 2018 and 2020. Not a lot. But some that go to just have a stop in Dominica. A lot of these are, are longer cruises. The shortest is going to be a seven-night cruise out of actually San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, but you do have some options that are either seven and ten and even 14-night sailings that will bring you there. Dominica is not like one of the most popular cruise ports for Royal Caribbean. I mean, about popular is like as in, in the amount of times they go there. It's not their go-to port by any means. It's a little further away. So, you know, if you're going from the United States, as an example, like there's a one here on Serenade of the Seas that leaves Fort Lauderdale. That's a ten-night sailing. Right, so you've got that to contend with. Uh, so it's not like right around the corner. And second of all, uh, as you mentioned, it's, it can't handle necessarily all the biggest ships in the world, so that limits it to some extent. Uh, but there are still some sailings. Good news, they're not. This is not the end all be all of Royal Caribbean Cruises stops in Dominica. Still gonna have some opportunities there. So keep checking back. Obviously, with new itinerary releases, this information will change. But uh, good news, you still have an opportunity to go over there. Next, we have an email from Murph, who writes, On my last cruise on Harmony of the Seas, I was able to use my onboard credit to pay for dinner at Sabor when I made the pre-cruise reservation. Our recommendation from your listeners is to book your specialty dining reservations for the first night. 
we had support ourselves, which meant all the waiters were taking care of us. I'm looking forward to the group cruise in March 2019 and enter shameless plug here. Well, thank you, Murph, for the email. And since Murph is talking about it, if you're wondering, we are doing a production. We've got five Royal Caribbean group cruises on the docket over the next couple of years. Uh, but Murph is talking about the Mariner of the Seas back-to-back uh, sailing um, group cruise that we're doing in March 2019. More details about that and all of our group cruises at Royal Caribbean Blog. Com. And Murphy's absolutely right. I, I, it's a great strategy. One of the things, you, back in the day, when you got onboard credit from Royal Caribbean, you had to wait to spend it on board the ship. But they've updated their website over the last year or so to allow this option. Now you can, you can spend it in advance. So you have $100 onboard credit. You go on the cruise planner, book that reservation for Sabor that Murph recommended, and use that money. So really, there's no money out of pocket for you. It's just that you're using this onboard credit deal. And basically, when you go to book it online via the cruise planner, you'll see a slider in the checkout process where like, oh, how would you like to pay? And one of the options is to take advantage of the onboard credit you have. And you can split up payments. You want to put 50 bucks here, 20 bucks here, and the rest on your credit card, you could do that. So it's a really nice strategy. I agree, Murph. Great idea. Thank you for reminding everybody about that option. Next, we have an email from Justin Kaplan. who writes, well, the upgrade ferry didn't exactly come to visit, but it was close enough. All right, we have an upcoming sailing, and I got a call about a month before my cruise to get pricing on some better rooms. We were able to get an ocean view balcony to do a junior suite for myself, my wife, and our three little monsters for $150 more. Total, per person, not per day, very excited. We've never done anything above an ocean view balcony, so this will be a first. I know you don't get as many perks being in a junior suite, but I had a question about embarkation day. I believe there's a separate waiting area for suite guests in the terminal. Does that include those of us in junior suites? This is also our first cruise as Diamond members, a couple of firsts this cruise. Here's a boarding priority. Do you know if Diamond boards before or after the junior suite? Justin, congratulations, dude, on the upgrade. I love it. The good news is uh, actually being a sweet junior suite, you do get priority embarkation and disembarkation. So yes, you still get to go ahead of even being a Diamond member. Sweet guests are among the first to get on board the ship and you should have a special area for you that you'll be directed to for us as a sweet guest and you get that priority embarkation. So you should be all set over there. Uh, and yes, you will board before being a Diamond member. That's still a, 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 a better deal for you. So... There you go, Justin. And again, I should also point out one other thing. Let me take that back before I get your hopes up too high. You didn't mention what ship you're on, but I do know that there's uh, differences between the suites, and you may be in a different area. It depends on the ship, obviously, and what may happen. But yes, you should be. You should, in my experience, I've done this a couple times, where I've always been seated in a suites area, which supersedes the diamond area or whatever status I had at the time in Relicrobate's Crown and Anchor Society. So based on my experience, you should have no problem there, Justin. Next, we have an email. I don't know why I said it like that. From Tim Bracken, aka Bayou Steelers, writes, I'll be selling on Freedom of the Seas in June from San Juan. We sit sell at 8 p.m. at night. Is it possible to check in, board the ship, drop off our luggage, and then go off the ship and visit San Juan for the afternoon? If so, then what is the procedure for this? Is it as easy as getting off the ship at as like it is at any other port? So, Tim, the answer is yes, you can, but I don't think you want to. A couple of reasons for it. Number one, don't forget about mustard drill. You still got to do mustard drill, and that's not like 20 minutes before you set sail like it is on other sailings. It's much earlier. Number two, uh, getting off the ship is really easy. Getting on back on board can be kind of a pain because you have to go back through all the – got to go through security again. And in my experience, it's too much of a pain, and there's too many other things going on board the ship that you'd like to do. Uh, you know, in terms of things that you want to uh, explore or check out or, you know, you want to go to your room, you want to go set up your dining, you want to hang out by the pool. I mean, for a lot of people, it boils down to, I got my drink package on board the ship. It's included on board. It's not included in San Juan. I'm going to go stay on board the ship. 
And obviously, what time you obviously arrive? You know, if you're among the first to get there, if you're there at 10 a.m. at the cruise terminal, sure, that's a different that's a different situation than you know if you're rolling at one o'clock. But to answer your question, Tim, yes, you can. I don't know that it's the most practical thing in the world to do. I kind of feel like by the time that you get your you get on board, you're you're gonna get on, you're gonna check in. You know, you have your luggage and all that other stuff. You know, even your carry on stuff. You know, your room's not gonna be ready till one. And I think by you know you eat lunch. You do, by the time you do all that. The idea of going back into town is really tough because not only that, one other thing we should probably mention, if your cruise ship uh, starts its cruise in San Juan, you're not in the port that is right by old San Juan. You're across the harbor, which means you need a taxi ride back and forth. And I think for a lot of people, that may be the, the deal killer right there. So I hate to be the bearer of b- bad news, but I kind of, it's possible. But again, I don't think you'd want to do it. Uh, Anthony has already got our next email. Writes, I'm celebrating my 75th birthday next September on a Royal Caribbean Greek Isle cruise. I need some help. I like the ports on on the Venice port trip, but I like the fact that Jewel of the Seas, the Rome port trip, is a much on a much newer ship. The Jewel was refurbished in 2016, while Rhapsody was done in 2012. Can you help me with an opinion on the current condition of these two ships and their suitability? My brain is breaking from reading reviews. Lots of, quote, this is an old ship, or Royal Caribbean needs to replace an older vessel on the Rhapsody. Help. Well, Anthony, I just went to Rhapsody of the Seas in... When did I go on? In March, right? Just a couple months ago, depending on when you're listening to this episode. And I'll tell you this, Anthony. First, number one. First and foremost, disregard every single review you've ever read online. It's irrelevant. It's entertainment purposes. It is These people are not professionals. And I recognize that even what I'm saying to you, I review a lot of stuff. Take it with a grain of salt. You can read for entertainment purposes, but trust me, I have read negative reviews about... There are negative reviews about Star Wars, babies, chocolate, and of course Royal Caribbean as well. People saying they don't enjoy it. Look, when I was on Rhapsody of the Seas, did I see you know a, a piece of rust here or a chip something here? Absolutely, I see that stuff on all the ships. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. They're not you know they don't have people literally with magnifying glasses going over the ships and looking for issues there, right? Jewel of the Seas, by the way, is no spring chicken either. Okay, she's not the newest ship in the fleet. Is she newer than Rhapsody? Absolutely. And if I had a choice between a Radiance class ship like Jewel or, or a Vision class ship like Rhapsody, I think I even said this in the other episode, I might consider, you know, I might lean towards the, the Radiance class. But if you like the ports better with Rhapsody on the Greek Isle, go on that one, dude. You know, go for the go for the itinerary. Because when you're on this kind of Greek Isles itinerary, it's about the ports. And the ship is secondary. It's not like it being in the Caribbean. I don't think you're going to have a problem going on Rhapsody. It's not making a mistake going on there. I think it's still a very nice ship. I think it works pretty well, and I think that I it would not I would not hesitate to book a cruise on on Rhapsody of the Seas again, uh, and certainly the condition of it again. I look uh, there's we can have a whole debate about Anthony. One day you and I will have to sit down. By the way, congratulations, 75th birthday. That's a really big deal, dude. Mazel tov. We should celebrate your 75th birthday sometime with some drinks, and let's talk about the nature of online reviews. But first and foremost, stop reading them. I mean that. Stop reading them. And just look at, this is what you got to think of yourself. Which itinerary do you want to do more? It's your 75th birthday. It's a big one. What do you want to do? If it's the one on Rhapsody, go for it. Absolutely. I would not hesitate to, to, to book another cruise on Rhapsody. Neither should you. Now, if it's the same itinerary between both ships, well, okay, now you can start looking at other factors, right? What's the pricing like? What kind of room are you going to get? Other kind of things. But, I mean, a Radiance class and a Vision class ship are very similar. Very, very similar. It's really just, you know, some minor things, and I don't know that a lot of them really mean a whole lot to you. Obviously, Radiance class, where Jewel will be slightly larger, uh, and there are the same amount of rest, especially restaurants, on board. 
Rhapsody there are on Jewel. There's, you know, this, there's still a pool. There's still a solarium on both. It, it, you're really going down to the minutia of the differences. But, you know, Rhapsody is no rust bucket. She's not, you know, I, I don't know how else I can say it that other than the fact that it is a still a great ship to sail on. And if that's the itinerary that you want to go on, dude, YOLO book it. You only live once. Book that cruise, Anthony. Hope that helped there. Next, we have an email from Kelly who writes, Hey, Matt, still listening to you every week. Our first cruise, my husband and I, that was this past January and Independence of the Season. We love, love, loved it. I got so many tips from listening to your past episodes, and now I'm hooked at all to listening to Cruise Tips TV. Anyways, we are now crowned an Anchor Society members, and our first cruise is next February on Anthem of the Seas, which in my opinion is too far away. My question is, when will we be able to start seeing the drink packages, internet packages, etc. to book? All we can see right now are the excursions. Also, how do you accrue points for your Crown and Anchor Society account? I know my book and cruise, but besides that, what else do you have to do? We're taking my parents with me on this cruise, and we did get them booked, so does that help? Thanks again for all your helpful information and tips as always. Can't wait for the next episode. Kelly, thank you for listening. So a couple of things to answer your questions. Number one, um, when can you start seeing drink packages, internet packages, etc. on the cruise planner? It depends, Kelly. You have to. There, there is no rhyme or reason as to when they start showing up there. Uh, basically what it means right now is you're too far out to book it, but keep checking back. It'll be there. I often quote this 90 to 120 days before your cruise figure as kind of the ballpark of what to expect. I've seen it right at the 90-day mark. I've seen it between 90 and 120. I've seen it even before 120. You want to keep checking back, you know, somewhat regularly, but it's going to be a lot closer. If you're like 600 days away from your cruise, you just got a lot of waiting to go before that'll be available. But if, you know, you're like, you know, six months away, it's going to be coming pretty darn soon. Now, in terms of how do you accrue points on Crown Anchor? So, by booking rooms. You're right. You book a cruise, you get points for the amount of night. One point for each night you you sail on there. The only other way to get more points or go up faster is to change the way that you sail. Uh, You either need to book a suite. If you book a suite, which is a junior suite or above, you get double Crown and Anchor Society points. So instead of getting one point per night, you get two. If you happen to book a suite by yourself, you actually get triple Royal Caribbean Crown and Anchor points. If you book any kind of room by yourself, you get double Crown and Anchor points. If it's a suite, you get triple. That's the only real ways that you can really level up, as it were, in Crown and Anchor Society. Beyond that, I'm really struggling to think of a situation where Royal Caribbean has offered a bonus point. They've done it, like, rarely. I can think of one, actually, right now. There was, like, a book Oasis class over the summer thing a couple of years ago, and they offered it, but again, it's 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 really rare. Very, very rare, so don't plan on it. And uh, there you go. Appreciate the email. Thank you, Kelly. Our next email comes to us from Lori, who writes, Matt, love your podcast. I have a couple questions about an upcoming cruise on Oasis this season. While in St. Thomas, we're thinking of taking a non-Royal Caribbean excursion via ferry over to St. John's from Crown Bay instead of Red Hook. Do both ferries drop off at the same place in St. John? Are there beaches within walking distance from where the ferries drop us off? Does the Crown Bay Ferry have consistent times to return to St. Thomas? If not, can we choose to come back on the Red Hook Ferry and take the taxi back to the ship? Lastly, if we purchase a drink card on a cruise and don't use it at all, can we use the remainder of the card on another cruise? Thank you, for thank you, Matt, for all the information that you provide for us addicted cruisers. Ooh, great question. St. John. So, if you're unaware of this, by the way, St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands is really close to St. John. Like, it's like, I mean, not A, you can see it, but B, there are ferries that offer service to it. Crown Bay is downtown. 
Whereas Red Hook is on the eastern side of the island, very close to St. John. So the Red Hook Ferry is really, you know, it's a really quick ride. It's like, I'm trying to, I, when I did it, I think it was like 10, 15 minutes, maybe. Very, very quick. The Crown Bay Ferry is much, you know, you're going to tack on another, I don't know, I don't even know what it is, 15, 20, 30 minutes, I'm not sure, but more time, right? The advantage of the Crown Bay Ferry is it's very convenient, you don't need a taxi fare, because you're going to be in downtown anyway, that's where the cruise ship docks, so you get off there, you walk over the cruise terminal, the ferry terminal, I should say, and board a ferry. What I found was, number one, it's a longer sailing, a longer ferry ride. So if you're susceptible to motion sickness with anything like that, obviously more time in the ocean is going to cause that, right? And number two, uh, there's less frequent offerings, less frequent ferries that are available, whereas Red Hook is like back and forth all the time. It's very, very regular. And so we felt it was better to, to take the taxi ride over to Red Hook. The Your question was, can you opt to, you know, uh, call an audible, essentially, and take one of the Red, uh, take a ferry back to Red Hook if the timing works better for you? I think you can. The issue is going to be your ticket, your return fare, because the fares are not the same. And what you'd have to do, essentially, is only book one-way travel, and then you'd have to obviously book the return travel. The problem is, on the way back, is you'd have to buy the fare. And I, there were really long lines for the for the tickets. So I know when we went to Red Hook, I didn't think we were going to make the ferry at all. In fact, we, we were just lucky and we were able to. But there was a huge line there. Granted, we were there on July 4th, so there was a or there was a July 4th celebration going on, which was an anomaly. But you're going to have to take time away to do that. So make sure if you're going to do that strategy, which I think you theoretically could do, the issue, the only issue you're going to run into is uh, you're going to have to buy return fare when you get back uh, in St. John. And that's kind of an issue there. Are there any fa- are there any beaches near where the ferry drops off? I'm sure there are. In fact, I know there are. But are they the best ones there? No. All the ones you hear about, Trunk Bay, Cinnamon Bay, all the amazing ones are all taxi right away. And I would tell you that if you're going to St. John, do it the right way. Go there. You know, if you're going to go all the way to St. John, not all the way, but you know what I mean. If you're going to take the opportunity to go to St. John, do it the right way. Go to one of the amazing beaches uh, that are on the northwestern side of the island. It's really nice to have all that. And then our last question is, if you buy a drink card and don't use it all, can you use it on another cruise? The answer is no. No. Uh, unfortunately not. You can't. The benefits are for the sailing you buy it on only. So, Lori, hope that answers your question there. Uh, we have an email from, I love these. These are great questions, by the way. I think this will actually be our last one here. It's from Jenny, who writes, I know you sailed out of Bayo many, many times, and I've been going through your reports and podcasts, but it would be much easier just to ask you, which is absolutely fair. That's the point of this podcast. Number one, where do you usually park? I always park at the parking garage. It's so convenient. It's so easy. And I'll tell you the other thing about Bayonne, there are no really good alternatives outside of the area. Not nearby. I mean, you'd have to park somewhere and then take a taxi to get over there or something like that. I would not recommend it. But uh, park right by the terminal. It used to be this open lot which I can understand why you might not want to park there, but they built a brand new parking garage. It is literally right next door to the terminal. So, so easy. Number two, how is the motion from New Jersey to the Bahamas? We're thinking of going on adventure this May, and I know it's significantly smaller than the Anthem of the Seas. You know, that's a good question, Jenny. And I hate to give you the answer. It depends, but it depends. It depends on a couple of things. Number one, obviously the ocean conditions, right? What's the weather like? I don't know. You're going in May. Okay, that's good. It's not the winter time. So the North Atlantic is not terribly rough. It's also not quite hurricane season yet. So you're in a pretty good time. I'd say in the grand scheme of things, if I had to be a betting man, I would bet on pretty decent weather that way. Number two, the ship, obviously, as you mentioned, Adventure is slightly smaller than than Anthem. That's going to play a factor. Number three, or whatever I'm up to, four, <laughs> it depends on you, how sensitive you are to it. 
I don't want to make it seem like you're gonna, you're not going to go to the Poseidon Adventure. It's not going to be like that. Will you experience emotion? You could. I remember when we were on Quantum of the Season of Bay on the way down, no motion at all. Like, it was like glass. The way back, there was a wave pool going on, right? Um, when we did Anthem of the Seas uh, last year, two years ago, however the math works out, my most recent cruise on Anthem of the Seas out of there, we had a little bit of motion, nothing terrible, in fact. It was pretty uh, easy going, as I recall. I don't... In the grand scheme of uh, cruises in which I've experienced motion in the ocean, I don't recall that being an issue that I can think of. I remember there was actually, we went on an NCL cruise, a Norwegian cruise out of New York to Bermuda one time. This was back in 2012. That was over spring break as well, as I'm not mistaken. And there, was it spring break? Because it, now I'm trying to think because of course this was Bermuda. Bermuda's only in the summertime. Maybe it wasn't spring break. It was some other time of the year. And I remember one of the days was really rough going. And, um... Actually, my wife and I were just talking about that the other day. But, you know, it depends. There's no... Jenny, I don't want to paint this picture that by going on Adventure of the Seas, you're going to have a rougher time about it. You may not. You may... It's... I think it really boils out of two basic things. Number one, the weather. Number two, how sensitive you are to it. I wouldn't worry about it. It wouldn't stop me from booking it. Bring Bonine. You know, go to the doctor, get a patch if you want that to go that route. But don't let it stop you. It's not a big deal. I think it's... You know, it's right up there with what time is bingo going to be at, and is that going to conflict with my dinner time kind of concerns, right? It's it's not going to be nearly as bad as you think, and modern medicine is amazing. Number three, how cold do you expect it to be out the first and last day in May? Will we see any warm weather? Will it be warm enough to swim in the ocean? I cook okay. I'm one of these girls who's always cold and has to wear a sweater on the ship and can't seem to go to water park unless it's 30 degrees out. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, my wife. Um... The good news is, yes, it will absolutely be warm enough to swim in Coco Cay. No problem at all there. You'll be all set there. I mean, will the water be, you know, bathtub temperature? Maybe not, but it'll be warm enough to swim. I don't think you'll have any issues there. In terms of how cold it'll be, the first and last air are always going to be the coolest temperature-wise because obviously you'll be the closest or the most north uh, you'll be. Uh, I think that, generally speaking, it's going to be warm enough to be in the pool or certainly be outside. I would expect in, now I don't know if you're going May 1st or like Memorial Day, there's a big difference there, and I know that you guys have been having pretty much no spring this year up north. It's been kind of just all winter, and so that can largely dictate it. And so at some point, it's going to change to warm out. I think that the first day, and the first day, you're going to probably be wearing a light jacket, jeans, maybe a t-shirt underneath your jacket, so you can take that jacket off, and you know maybe in the afternoon, right? On the last day of the cruise, you'll start off the day. It'll be, it won't be too bad at all. Maybe you'll go with the t-shirt to start off with. By the evening time, you'll be a little too chilly outside. But, you know, that's I, I think that's hardly a big deal. I think May's a great time to go cruising, by the way. I think you pick a wonderful time. I love that. It won't be 30 degrees outside. It's going, uh, more than likely, <laughs> uh, it's going to be warm enough to really enjoy. And certainly by day two, when you get down there already, I mean, you're going to be warmed up pretty well. I mean, I mean, short of a freak weather front, which in May is emphasis on freak, I don't think that's going to happen. So, Jenny, you're going to have an awesome time. You picked a great cruise on a great ship during a great time of year. I think you're going to have a great time. So, thank you for the email. And thank you to everybody for a wonderful opportunity to talk Royal Caribbean with all of you. Thank you for being a part of it. And if you want to send me your emails about Royal Caribbean, I would love, 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 yes, in fact, I would love to read them right here on the podcast. Send me an email, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hodgeberg, and we'll talk again soon.